All right, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 14. Genesis chapter number 14, continuing to look as we study uh, the life of Abraham. And uh, as we said, you know, the first, the first part of Genesis lays out much of the history uh, of, the, of the earth and of mankind. Uh, then we come to Abraham, and over one-third of the book of Genesis deals uh, with the life of Abraham. And uh, so we've been looking at that, and of course at this point he is still being referred to as Abram. And here in chapter number 14 we look at Abram going to war. Abram going to war. So Abram has been uh, coming up through the Word of God, and we know that in the last chapter he and Lot uh, had to split ways. And of course Lot went down uh, to the plain of Sodom. We know that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. We see here in chapter number 14 that Lot had moved into Sodom. And because of Lot moving into Sodom, let me just say this. If you want to run with the world, you're going to pay with the world. If you want to enjoy the things that this world has to offer, you're going to pay the price that this world pays for the things that they offer. And Lot had moved into Sodom, had taken his family into that wicked city, most likely from everything we can tell from the Word of God, the most wicked city on earth at that time. It wasn't that Lot was deceived. It wasn't that Lot was unaware of what was in Sodom. It was very evident that Sodom was a wicked city. And Lot moved his family into Sodom. Who knows what it was that attracted him. But for whatever reason, Lot had moved into this wicked city. And as we'll see here in just a little bit, there, there was a conflict. And as a result of that conflict, Lot was taken captive. And because of Lot being taken captive, Abram stepped up uh, and Abram went to war. Now it's interesting to note that this is the first recorded war that we have. There is the first battle that we have recorded in the Word of God is this battle. And although it was the first, it definitely wouldn't be the last. As a matter of fact, the Society of International Law in London tells us that over the past 4,000 years of human history, there has only been 268 years of peace. And I'm sure that during those 268 years there was a conflict going on somewhere. Uh, but they said that over the past 4,000 years of history there's only been 268 years of peace. Despite the fact that during that same 4,000 years there have been over 8,000 peace treaties signed. 8,000 peace treaties have been signed over the course of 4,000 years and we yet to figure out how to have peace. So although this is the first war that was recorded, it definitely wasn't the last. This, this battle is known as the war of four against five. It is a battle when four kings came against five kings. And many times you'll see a heading in your Bible or if you look in commentaries, they'll refer to this as the war of four against five. But this war, this battle is a tremendous picture of God's blessing on the children of Israel. As of right now, the nation of Israel consists of Abraham and Sarah. That's all that it consists of. They are a promise that there will be a nation. It's a promise that God will, will from them build a great nation. But right now, it consists of Abram and Sarah. That's who the nation consists of. And yet we see a victory here that is humanly impossible. And we'll look in more detail at this battle when we get to it. But it's humanly impossible that Abram should have won this battle. However... As we continue through the Old Testament, we continue looking at the battles that Israel fought and the children of Israel fought, we see that what happened in this battle is how it happened 
in every battle. God had promised Abram, he said, I'll fight your battles for you. And we see that every battle that Israel uh, entered into when Israel was right with God, God fought for them. And Israel was victorious despite their odds, despite everything that was coming against them. Israel was victorious. So this battle that we're going to look at tonight is a picture of God's blessing on Israel, but it's also a, an additional picture and that it's a type of God's blessing on His children, you and I, and the truth that it doesn't matter what the odds, if we let God fight our battles for us, we will be victorious. So we're going to read starting in Genesis chapter number 14, and I'm going to go ahead and read down through verse number 16. So uh, bear with me and follow with me as we read this story. In Genesis 14, starting in verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shemember, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. So I know that that's a lot of names altogether in two verses, but basically what you see here in verse number 1, we see the four kings, and in verse number 2, we see the five kings. So the four kings in verse number one are going to come against the five kings in verse number two. In verse number three it says, all these were joined together in the vow of Siddim, which is the salt sea. So we see the four kings coming against the five kings and the battle took place there in the valley of Siddim. This is where the battle took place. So the groundwork is laid there in those three verses. Now and starting in verse number four, we're going to find out why they fought and then we'll come back and cover all this so you guys up there running the PowerPoint, don't worry, I'm just giving a heads up. We'll come back to all this. But in verse number four, we begin to see why they had a conflict. It says, 12 years they served the, the five kings, 12 years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the 13th year they rebelled. And in the 14th year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephims, and Ashtaroth, Carnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Sheva, Carathaim. And the Horites in the Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to in Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazizon Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Geborah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim with Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, the king of nations, and Anraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and 
the people. Now next week we'll continue down through the end of the chapter and look at what took place after the battle, but tonight we're going to look at some things concerning this battle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for how you bless us. We thank you, dear Lord, how we bring our needs before you. And Lord, even as we were going over the prayer request earlier, Lord, and we were, uh, Lord, we were sharing requests, but at the same time, Lord, we were sharing answers to prayer. Lord, times that you came through, and Lord, you showed yourself uh, able to take care of us. And Lord, as we look at this story tonight, Lord, we will see, uh, Lord, that you take care of your own. And Father, I thank you for that. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless now as we look at your word. I pray, dear Lord, that you will take this lesson, Lord, although some of it's just historical facts, and Lord, some of it is applicable. I pray, dear Lord, that it will help increase our faith in you. It'll help increase our knowledge of your word. And Father, Lord, that we will go from here tonight, having been encouraged and lifted up, and able to be a light and a witness for you, Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless now as we look at this lesson, and Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we look here in this story, and as I read through it, I kind of gave you just a little bit of an overview of what was going on. So we'll go back and look at that a little more in depth uh, this evening. And to get started, though, I want to just give you a brief history, and that is your first uh, uh, blank there in your worksheet, a brief history of what took place uh, here in this battle. The first thing that we see is the coalitions of nations, and we pointed that out a little bit as we read the text. Uh, but in verse number 1, we see Chedorlaomer, king of Elam. And now as we read through the story, we realize that Chedorlaomer, uh, he was the big dog. He was the guy that was in charge. Uh, he was the one that was kind of over everyone else. And we see that there were three allies with Chedorlaomer. And, of course, it gives their names there. And these four kings had formed a, a coalition of kings, and, and they had overpowered or uh, somehow uh, uh, they had gained dictatorship over a lot of the other countries, the other states and nations, uh, and they were collecting taxes from all these other people. Isn't it interesting that thousands of years later we still fight over taxes? And so Chedorlaomer, he's in charge and he's collecting taxes from all these people. He's like, you do your thing, you pay me, I'll leave you alone, you know. And then we see uh, in verse number 2 the coalition of the five kings uh, there next to the Salt Sea, which is the same thing we know as the Dead Sea. Uh, so we see the five kings gathered together there. Um, and we see that they... If you look, there's a, we go back and forth here, but if you look a little bit later when we get down here to the conflict, you'll see that there were a lot more people involved that Chedorlaomer had to deal with. And we'll look at them in just a moment. But the five kings there by the Dead Sea, they also formed a coalition and they said, we're going to stop Chedorlaomer. So what had happened, uh, so your first one is the coalition, your next blank is the conflict. What had happened was they said, we're tired of paying taxes. In verse number 4, it says 12 years. They served Chedorlaomer, and in the 13th year, they rebelled. They said, all right, listen up, everybody. We're not sending them in. We're not paying. We don't need Chedorlaomer. We can manage on our own. Not sending them in, not going to do it. And so that year, Chedorlaomer's like, where's my, where's my revenue? Where's the people that's been working for me? Where's my benefit? They're like, they said they're not paying you, king. Not coming in anymore. They've decided to do their own thing. And we see right here in verse 5 it says, and in the 14th year came Chedorlaomer. He said, all right, that's how they want to play. We can play this game. I can, I can fix this. I can take care of this. And so he gathered his three allies 
and they're coming to these five kings. Now they're on their way to these five kings to set them straight and let them know that they are still going to have to be subject to him as a supreme ruler. But now take a moment and look at what he did on his way. And I believe the Lord includes this to show us the strength of these four kings. It says here, it says, And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims. Now this is not the five kings. This is someone else. This is just on his way, on his way to fight the five kings. He smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth. Uh, he smote the Zuzims in Ham. He smote the Emims in Sheva. He smote the Horites in Mount Seir. And then it says uh, that he went to in Mishpat in verse 7 and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt at Hazes on Tamar. So we see that Chedorlaomer said, we're going to go and we're going to fight to the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and uh, Bela. We're going to go fight them. We're going to set them straight. He said, and we're going to make a statement on the way. And so on the way, he destroyed multiple other kingdoms and brought even more kingdoms in, uh, under his rule. And he, he's like, you know what? I'm nobody to be messed with. We're going to set this straight. I'm going to own this whole place. You don't mess with me. I'm coming to fix you. And so this is what had caused the conflict. But we see that the king of Sodom, uh, there in uh, verse number 8, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adama and the king of Zeboam and the king of Bela, the same as Zor, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. Now, I, I love to just think through all this. You know, a lot of times whenever we read Bible stories, uh, we tend to make these almost fictional characters and we don't give them human attributes like you and I have when we just read the Bible story. But whenever I read the story, I love to try and give them the human attributes and think, you know, how this took place. So we got these five kings, and here comes Chedorlaomer, and he's mad, and he's killing everybody in his path, and he's on his way. They know he's coming. They know he's mad. And so they get together. They get together, and they call a meeting. Seems like the king of Sodom is the top dog, and so he says, y'all come on over. We're going to talk about what we're going to do. They get everybody together and they're like, do you think we got a chance against these guys? And like, oh yeah, we got a chance. I mean, there's only four of them. There's five of us. I know he's killing these other nations, but he's taking them out one at a time. There's five of us. We, we've got the upper hand on him. Uh, we'll stop him. When he gets here, we're going to stop him. And like, well, where are we going to fight him at? Now, I don't know if all this happened. This is just my imagination. So if y'all don't like it, you can just turn off for a minute. But they're like, you know, where are we going to fight him at? And they were like, well, you know, there's all them slime pits uh, over in the Vale of Siddim. We're aware of them. We know know they're there. They don't know they're there. We'll meet them there and we'll use the slime pits to our advantage. We're, we've got him outnumbered. I believe we can stop him. I believe they were pretty confident that they were going to stop him. They quit paying taxes. They quit working for him. We're going to stop him. The slime pits are going to be to our benefit. And so they meet him right there. It says, uh, and the veil of, it says, uh, let's see here. And uh, they, they, uh, joined battle with them, the end of verse number 8, joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. And it tells us in verse number 9 who the four kings were that they met there in the vale of Siddim. And it says in verse number 10, And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. 
And they that remained fled to the mountain. Now, whether or not they were hoping to use them to their benefit, we don't know for sure. I would think that being they were local to the area and that's where they met them, that they had hoped to use them to their benefit. But Chedorlaomer wasn't nobody to be messed with. He was mad. And he meant business. And although he was outnumbered, although he, they had met him in a strategic position, he came right on through. He didn't slow down. And they turned and run. And the slime pits ended up catching them and, and uh, caused a, a reverse effect. And the ones that didn't fall in the slime pits fled to the mountain. And Chedorlaomer gathered everybody up and he marched right on through. This fella was nobody to be played with. And although they thought they had it figured out, to, as we see your third blank there, there was a collapse. They fell flat. What they thought was planned did not work. What they thought was going to pan out for them uh, just, just fell flat. And here they are, climbing out of the slime pits, captive, and once again, subject to Chedorlaomer. This guy meant business. But Chedorlaomer made a bad mistake. That's your next blank, a bad mistake. In verse number 12 and verse number 13, we see that Chedorlaomer made a bad mistake. It says in verse number 12, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now, I don't know this for sure. But it is very possible that this battle between these pagan kings would have never been recorded in the Bible had it not been for these four words, and they took Lot. But those four words made this God's business. How is it that it made, that made this God's business? Well, here's the thing. Although Lot... At this time, he was backslidden. He wasn't right with God. He was living in Sodom. But Lot was one of God's children. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter that Lot was a saved man despite the way that he was living at that time. He was backslidden. He wasn't acting like a Christian. He didn't look like a Christian. He wasn't walking like a Christian. He was living in sin, but he belonged to God. And you know what? We can find hope in the fact that it doesn't matter how far away from God we go, he will always take care of his own. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't chastise you, and that could be what's taking place in Lot's life right here. It doesn't mean that he won't allow hardship to come into your life that will hopefully turn you back to him. But it does mean that he knows where you're at and he's going to look out for you. It says, and they took Lot. And whenever Chedorlaomer, Chedorlaomer's a pagan king, he's going through town killing other pagan kings and they're not messing with God's children. God's just letting pagans do what pagans do. And you know, that's a, something that we, you and I need to understand even in our day, whenever pagans are doing pagan things to other pagans, we're like, why don't God get involved? Well, if they would turn to him, he would. But if pagans are doing pagan things, a lot of times God will let pagans destroy pagans. They need to turn to him. And so it's very likely that God would have just let this thing go on and they could have done whatever it was they wanted to do until they messed with Lot. When they messed with Lot, they made a bad mistake, and God said, all right, this is my business now. We see a few things here about this bad mistake. First is the capture, the capture of Lot. It says there 
in verse number 12, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son. They gathered him up and took him captive with the other uh, hundreds or thousands of captives that they were taking there out of these cities. Next we see the confiscation. Uh, not only did they take Lot, but they took all of his goods. We know that Lot had uh, many cattle. He had a lot of uh, livestock. We know that him and Abram had to spread out because of all the possessions that Lot had. Uh, they gathered them up too. They took Lot. They took all of his goods, uh, confiscated his goods. Uh, but then we see the confidence of Chedorlaomer. It says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Chedorlaomer said, Jack Mark, if he had used the, if, if Chedorlaomer would have been carrying a shotgun, he would have put another check in the barrel. Here's another city down. We knocked this one off. I've got this. Nobody is ever going to stand in my way. But he made a mistake. He had crossed the line with God. You know what the Bible says? It's vain to put your trust in men. It's vain to put your trust in the strength of horses. Vain to trust those things whenever you're competing against God. And Chedorlaomer had made a mistake. He had crossed the line with God. And then the last thing we see here is the communication in verse number 13. And I find this very interesting. It says, And there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew. You say, what's interesting about that? Well, apparently, Lot had told somebody about Abram. Apparently, Lot had told somebody, I have an uncle. Apparently, what he told him about his uncle was not uh, in any way negative, but was positive. Because this guy said, we're in trouble. I'm going to go talk to Abram. Lot had told somebody about Abram. Now let me just make this application here. Lot was living in Sodom. Lot had left Abram. We looked at last week whenever Lot and Abram separated. Lot was selfish. He was self-centered. He didn't consider others. He thought only of himself and his own benefit. He's living in Sodom. Lot is not in any way operating with a Christian mind at this time. But there's an individual in Lot's life who, although he's not perfect, has always been faithful. And Lot had told somebody about his uncle. And when trouble hit, they knew to run to Abram. Now, I don't know. I don't know how Abram felt when they separated. I do know that Abram was a normal guy just like us that has emotions just like us that could get his feelings hurt and his heart hurt just like us. And I have to imagine that after he and Lot separated, there were times when Abram was hurt with the way that Lot handled that. There was times that Abram was saddened by the way that things happened and he was probably troubled that Lot had moved into Sodom. And, but Abram remained faithful. And when trouble came, Abram was the man that was sought out. You know, many times throughout life, there may be family members, there may be friends, there may be co-workers, there may be people in your life that you have tried to affect for the cause of Christ. There may be people that you have tried to witness to. There may be people that you have tried to direct towards the things of God and they really want nothing to do with you, at least in everything you can see, they want nothing to do with you. But you know what we need to do in those situations? We need to be like Abram, and we need to just simply stay faithful. 
Because although they may act as if you're not affecting them, they may act as if they don't believe in anything you're doing, they may act as if uh, you are just simply in their way, you remain faithful and when trouble comes, you are who they're going to be seeking out. Abram remained faithful. Lot had told somebody, I've got a faithful uncle. And when trouble came, uh, this guy scrambled up out of the slime pit. He got up on top of the mountain. When Chedalamer left, he said, I'm going to find Abram the Hebrew. The guy that Lot told me about, I am going to find him. And we see there in verse number 13, and there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. And it says, For he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel, and brothers of of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. Now, if you look over in verse number 24, you will find that after the battle, uh, that Mamre, Eskel, and Aner went with Abram. They said, hey, we're going with you. We're going to help you. Abram had a good relationship with his neighbors, and we could, we could hang up there for a while, but we'll just mention that and go on. So we see that they made a bad mistake. They took Lot. Someone told Abram. And in verse 14 down through verse number 16, we see a brother's response. A brother's response. It says there in verse 14, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, Abram heard that Lot had been taken captive. And Abram said, we've got to do something about this. Somebody needs to do something. Now, there's a couple of things Abram's response tells me about Abram. First of all, it tells me that Abram was a man of sympathy. Abram had a sympathetic heart. Now, it would have been natural for Abram to have said, he got what he deserved. It would have been natural for Abram to say he knew better than going to Sodom. He knew the reputation that place had. He knew that he was going to get in trouble if he went down there. Now, Abram could have said, I'm sorry that he's caught, but what am I supposed to do? Uh, Abram could have made all kinds of excuses. But when Abram heard the word that Lot had been taken captive, Abram did not think about himself. Abram was sympathetic Toward Lot. Lot's in trouble. This is the only thing he focused on. This is what dictated his actions was Lot was in trouble. He didn't think of himself. He only thought about Lot and he came to his brother's aid. Not only was he a man of sympathy, but Abram, this shows me that Abram was a man of preparation. Abram was a man of preparation. He was a man that was prepared. He was ready to go to battle if a battle arose. Now this is the first battle that's recorded in the Word of God, but it's very likely that there have been other battles, other fights, other problems uh, before this. Uh, and Abram knew that there was a possibility of battle, and he was ready. He was prepared for battle. Abram kept himself and his household in shape, uh, spiritually, physically, mentally. They were ready. Abram was a man that, that stayed prepared. Do you know what? Many times, many times God is unable to use us. Not, not because there's sin in our life. Not, not because we're not right with God. There's many times He's unable to use us simply because we're unprepared. I, I can give you a, an example that I'm sure all of us can relate to. There have been times that I have failed to witness because I didn't have a gospel track or I didn't have something to give someone and the devil jumped on my back and said, well, you don't have a gospel track. Maybe you can get them next time. 
And I failed to be used of God because I was unprepared. That's a small area, but we could apply it in many, many, many areas. Any area that you serve, we ought to labor to be prepared for the service that God is going to call us to. We see here that Abraham was prepared. And because Abraham was prepared, uh, he was able to do a couple of things. We see in verse number 14 that he rallied his men. He rallied his men. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318. He rallied his men. He said, all right. He said, go get the shepherds. Go get these guys out here watching the cattle. Uh, go get the, these guys. Bring them all in. Come on. He got everybody in, and he said, guys, we're going to war. Let's rally together. We're going to get Lot, and he rallied his men together. Now, an interesting thing to note is in the last chapter, these guys were fighting with Lot's guys. They were arguing. They were disagreeing. They had to separate because these guys and Lot's guys couldn't get along. But when Abram said, we're going to rescue Lot, these men said, yes, sir. Not only we see that Abram was a prepared guy, but we see that Abram was a leader. Abram was a man that knew how to lead those that were serving him, and he rallied his men together. But not only did he rally his men together, but we see... There in the end of verse number 14 down through verse number 16 that he rescued the captives. It says, And he pursued them unto Dan, and he divided themselves against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people." Now, I've heard this story many, many times. I've heard this story told and heard it preached on, but not until I studied it this time did I recognize that this is a miraculous work of God. I always just figured that Abraham and his 318 men were able to win the battle. But this is akin to the battle we read of later of Gideon and his 300 men. I mean, this is an impossible battle. As we read the chapter, and I believe God recorded this, this so we would understand as we read the chapter, Chet Lairmer and his allies were tough. I mean, these guys done whipped everybody. Every person they came across, they took them out. One nation at a time. They wiped them out one after another. Then they come up against five kings uh, who are strategically placed, who have thought it through, who know they can stop them, and Chet Lairmer wipes them out too. And then Abram and 300 guys show up and take the victory. You know what? This was not, although Abram was prepared, although his men were trained, although he was ready, none of this accounts to Abram and his men. This is a miracle of God. This is God giving the victory. God said, Abram, I'm going to deliver Chedorlaomer to you. I can just imagine Ted Lammer thinking to himself, 300? 300 guys? 300 with me? What in the world? How did this happen? What did I do wrong? But God gave the victory. Now, most of what we've looked at tonight has just been a historical telling of this story, but I do want to share a biblical application. Just one biblical application here uh, before we close that I think uh, will just bring this home to us in a way that we can apply it to our own lives. So we're going to look back here at Abram 
and his men and see this biblical application. When we look in verse number 14, we see, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. We see here that there were some men in Abram's house who were capable to join Abram in the battle. And I just want to say this, that if we could apply that to ourselves, if we are going to be victorious in the battles of life, we're going to have to be like Abraham's men. And I want to show you this. We see that these men were born in Abram's house. And those that will be victorious in the battle of life will be born into the house of God. Those that will be victorious in this life will be those that have been born again. Those that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We see that these servants were born in his own house. They had uh, came there to Abram's house. They had been born there. They had grown up there. They knew Abram. They understood how Abram worked. And those that are going to be victorious in the battle of life will be born in the house of God. Not only that, but we see that these men, not only were they born in his own house... But it says that they were trained servants. If we're going to be victorious in, in the work of God, if we're going to be victorious in the battles of life, we need to be trained in the Word of God. Trained in the Word of God. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. These men were trained to do what they needed them to do. And if we're going to be victorious, we need to be born again, and we need to be trained in the Word of God. We need not see salvation as a, as a final step but we need to see it as a starting step. We need to see salvation as an introduction to the things of God and then begin to seek and to study and to understand and to know His Word. It ought to be something that we seek and pursue on a daily basis. But not only were they born in the house of God and trained in the Word of God, but we see here it says that they were born in His own house. They were trained servants. But what do we see that He did? He said He armed His trained servants. We need to be armed by the Spirit of God. Armed by the Spirit of God. In the book of Ephesians, we read of the armor of God. And at the end, after we look at all the pieces of the armor, it says, And take unto you the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. If we're going to be victorious, uh, we are going to be victorious uh, through the Word of God uh, and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. These men were armed for battle, and God has made it possible that you and I can be armed for battle. And whenever you're born in the house of God, trained in the Word of God, and armed by the Spirit of God, we see here in verse number 14 that they pursued them unto Dan. Whenever you're born in the house of God, trained the Word of God, armed by the Spirit of God, you will be enlisted in the work of God. Abram knew that although these guys were uh, shoeing horses and taking care of sheep, that they would know what to do when they got to the battlefield. And he enlisted them in the work of God. There's an application here that you and I can see that if we want to be successful in the battles that we're going to face in life, let's make sure that we're depending on on God, studying the Word of God, learning what He has, trusting in the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, 
and then we'll be victorious in the battles of life. Hopefully you've enjoyed this lesson. It's a very interesting story. I tell you, I really enjoyed reading about all these kings and boy, there's a lot more we could get into about these kings and all that was going on there. But boy, looking at how this all came to place, and God said, you messed with Lot. So I'm sending Abram and 300 guys and we're going to get you out. And I tell you what, God came through and God will come through for you if you will put your trust and faith in Him. So I hope that's a blessing to you. Anyone think about it?